Alright everybody, welcome to another episode of Cube and Chaos. With me as always is Max. Hello. And uh, even though it's been a while, we have not stopped finding amazing guests to visit us on the show. This time with us is Caleb Durwood, the magic celebrity and cube lover himself. Hello, good to be here. Very happy to have you. I... Uh, don't get enough of you since you sadly are often streaming while I'm asleep. But <laughs> now I I have you within my grasp, so expect many questions. <laughs> that almost sounded ominous. With <laughs> <laughs> maybe to start off the questions, maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and your your magic background through the lens of your signature spellbook that you prepared for us. Yeah, so I thought a little bit about my competitive history, but this is mostly just cards that like captured my imagination, cards that I like value really highly in cube. I go hard on it's my favorite format, so I go hard on it and um I play it more than other formats, so it's like slowly like dominating my identity, you know. <laughs> sure. I, have, I I have time walk on this list and I, like I've only played vintage like once or twice, so <laughs> so I mean the time walk's just purely from cube. Most folks will take either Soul Ring or Black Lotus, pack one, pick one over like any other card. And that's like the established mm -hmm. thing. But I like Time Walk so much that, that I'm taking it over everything. That's my that's my cube pack one, pick one. Gotcha. I like that uh, a piece of fast mana, like a Mox or something, it'll give you that burst of power on turn one. And that's awesome. But then at a certain point in the game, it's just like drawing a regular land, right? Whereas Time Walk can all see ramp you in the early game, but then in the later game, just like builds in power as the board gets larger and stuff and gives you a chance to come back from all these crazy situations. And if you get the right deck where you can like loop the Time Walk and keep on recurring it, it's, it's very, very satisfying. I enjoy it a lot. So you really like building around it as your first pick and then going from there? Yes. Yeah. Eternal Witness it back, Snapcast it, whatever, what yeah, have yeah. you. Play with mm -hmm. a bunch of, of Planeswalkers and stuff. Yeah, like... JTMS, bounce the EWIT, get the time walking, do the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's always a fun exactly. time. Yeah. And then I got Mirror Battlesphere on here, which I think is probably another cube card. I have played it in Vintage back when, I think back when you could tinker for Mirror Battlesphere and that wasn't like an embarrassing thing to do. It was the last <laughs> time that I was like really enjoying Vintage. <laughs> sure. But yeah, I like it in cube a lot too. I like how it juices up cards like Urza and an academy and i don't know it just feels a lot more fun to play with and against than something like blightsteel colossus that just kind of ends the game mm. uh because like sometimes yeah. it's beatable sometimes you can like clone it and do cool things sure it's yeah. it's so nice that it's castable and it has so many more synergies oh even yeah. though it's maybe not as rawly powerful as blightsteel in the correct shell but it's i i really like this one nice choice thank yeah. you yeah it's so fun it's so fun, and it fits in so many different decks, and it's good with Skull Clamp. Um, I actually missed oh, a kill yeah. uh, this last cube season because I'd given it Vigilance with an equipment, and someone in my chat pointed out that I missed Lethal because I could have tapped it to itself because it itself is yeah. a mirror. <laughs> I was oh, like, God. oh my. Oh, wow, yeah. I've never seen that come up. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty funny. Just yeah. wild stuff. Yeah, it's a great choice. I like how you distinguished it from Blightsteel, which I feel like is a lot more binary, right? Like it either just ends the game or it gets removed. And yeah, with Battlesphere, it seems like there's way more like gray area. It's like a more, like you said, just a more interesting card to play with and against. More interesting. I think more fun. Obviously, fun is relative, but... Yeah, but um, even playing against it, like it's 
more fun. It's easier to interact with. Uh, yeah, way easier to interact with. Still good, even if you do manage to interact with it. You know, it's like never like a super blowout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anyway, choice. Uh, moving on to a much worse choice. I've got Delver of Secrets here. <laughs> <laughs> Delver of Secrets, uh, I was like one of the first people to play it on the Star City series way back when. And my first brew of Delver and Standard was atrocious. I did have like four Snapcasters with it, but I think I was playing like two Ponder. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like, like it was a very new card, right? <laughs> you got to yeah. cut past me some slack. But yeah, one of my legacy GP top eights was with Delver. I managed to win a, a PTQ with 18 land Delver with like Talran Delver when it was in standard. And I enjoyed playing it in limited, uh, in Estrad limited. Uh, Innistrad Limited was one of, I think it was my only limited GP top eight. And I really liked Delver in that format too, because everybody else hated it. It wasn't very good. It was kind of like a moon heron with question mark. <laughs> like suspend question mark. Like eventually you'll have a moon heron at some point. Yeah. And, but I liked that a lot. I mean, moon heron was great. And so I would just, um, just draft all spells and just assume that the Delvers would table and they always would. That would end up with like a pretty reasonable blue white tempo deck a lot of the time. Yeah, I'd be one of the people taking the Moon Heron and letting the Delver wheel. So I was definitely yeah. <laughs> enabling you for sure. <laughs> so this one, it seems like, is less of a, a cube choice for you and more of like a card that you have a really rich, like competitive history with. Is that, is that yeah. it? Yeah. yeah, it sounds accurate. Do you think it's worth it to build a cube where it's good? Or do you think it can never really work in cube because of the one of nature or i mean you can break single oh it it can work in cube for sure especially if you've got other threats that are spell dependent right like talrand and young pyromancer and all those like Mm -hmm. monster swift spear you can certainly have enough cards that are like really efficient and play well with like a critical mass of spells then delver is okay it's always going to be less consistent than in constructed where you can play four of them of course it's in my one mana cube Jakob. so if you're <laughs> if you're saying it shouldn't be in any cube then well i mean that's bad news for me because a lot of the cards it works really nicely with are one mana cards like brainstorm drc the whole deal so all right i think i will be passing it but <laughs> <laughs> well, that's still not enough and... i think a lot of cubes don't have enough cantrips yeah. not just for delver just like don't have enough cantrips in general that's fair I mean, cantrips are amazing for consistency. We definitely have a few members of our community here who love cantrips and will take them like pack one, pick one, even in like legacy cubes, things like that. So absolutely. There's not enough. There's not enough to go around. So you got to value them highly. And going back to the like two ponder uh, deck that you said that you made and like talking about cutting past you slack. I mean, you said that you were like, what, the first person on your team building with Delver anyway. So I feel like you automatically... You get some slack for that. This is the first uh, SEG that it was legal. So like first oh, literal okay. first weekend constructed. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like super quick. Yeah. yeah, for sure. What do you have on there next? Uh, I've got Noble Hierarch, which is another mm-hmm. um, constructed one that's near and dear to my heart. My very first GP top eight was with Survival Vengevine. And I have not played much Survival or much Vengevine since then, but I've played with Noble Hierarch. It was, it was at its core a Noble Hierarch deck. Since then, I've got so many top eights with this card. Bant in a Legacy SCG, just like regular Vendillion Click, Nether Reliquary things. I had a four-color Zoo list that was playing like Wild Nakatl and Jace the Mind Sculptor during Mental <laughs> Step era with like Lightning Bolts and Lava Mancers and stuff. That deck was playing Nobles. More recently, the Bant Spirits deck in modern and it's not even that recent anymore it's been some years yeah that deck was 
very much a Noble Hierarch deck. Anyway, I've just got a big soft spot for it, and I'm sad that it's not great in modern right now. Does that love for Noble Hierarch translate to cube, like Vintage Cube, or are you there not so much into it? Obviously, it's at its best in Bant, and I like drafting Bant in Vintage Cube fine, but it's not something that I draft more than like any other archetype, you know? Yeah, sure. So I would say it, it doesn't actually translate that well. I still like it. I still enjoy the card in cube, but... I had like two or three seasons ago a phase where I would uh, pick it really highly and always try to draft uh, green base, multicolor, aggressive decks, or like aggressive leading mid-range decks. Yeah. Where it, it works quite well. Some sort of like Maverick-ish type deal. Yeah. Just ramp a little bit into more creatures and equip it and attack. Like nothing costing more than five mana. Like not mm-hmm. big green ramp. I, I'm not touching maybe that some, anymore. Maybe <laughs> some blue planeswalkers or something. Oh yeah, that's also very nice. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, next up, I've got Rotting Regisar here. And uh, that card just makes me happy. I've been trying to play it in Legacy off Dark Ritual and stuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work very well, but I'm still trying. Uh, <laughs> I played it in the last... I don't think they were called Pro Tours, but the last Pro Tour that I got to play in, I played Rotting Regisar and I was putting Embercleave on it. And that was, a, that was a good time. <laughs> Sounds like fun, for sure. Probably no Dark Ritual there, unfortunately, but... No Dark Ritual there, yeah. That was that was really the downfall. That's the only reason I didn't win that tournament. They didn't want to play Dark Ritual. <laughs> that close. Steadily absent from Vintage Cube, right? Yeah, I think it was just cut, right? It was just cut, yeah. That made me sad. Me too. I'm, I was also sad. You can just, like, drop it, turn one off like a Mana Crypt or something, and, and murder somebody. <laughs> like, can you exactly. do this? Oh, you can't? Okay, cool. Or, or drop a turn two off the Noble Hierarch we just talked about. <laughs> right, yeah, perfect. <laughs> That's a synergy. And it's not, like, terrible in reanimating. Yeah, right, it's not embarrassing there. I quickly went through your recent article here, and, yeah, cards you'd love to see added to the Vintage Cube. There's the Rotting Regisaur. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little bias on my part. I mean, I signed that petition. <laughs> Next up, I've got Chrome Mox. Chrome Mox has sparked my fancy since it first got spoiled. It's the first time I saw a card spoiled and then pre-ordered a card. And I was like, these are pre-ordering for $15. It's a Mox. They're printing a Mox. Everyone's an idiot. And then it was just like $15 the entire standard season. Like it didn't go up or down at all and whatever. I was like, whatever. Everyone else is still dumb. This card rules. (laughs) And yeah, I've just been playing it and everything. I think people undervalue it in cube quite a lot because sometimes you'll get it like i mean you get it fourth or fifth or even later sometimes what's the best kind of deck for for chrome mox in your opinion a balance deck mm, yeah that was immediate <laughs> <laughs> it's a uh, it's also really good with draw sevens right yeah if you're yeah. doing that you just like don't even care that you're pitching a card definitely good with both it's another mox you end up playing a lot of decks with draw sevens like do you play much storm or just okay i mean yeah sometimes it's storm but i think it's more fun to to do it in some other stupid way i really like the draw seven fast bond decks Mm. a lot of times they don't come together and you're just dealing with a pile of crap but when they hum oh man it's just some of the most fun you can have playing magic for sure oh yeah I don't i don't have the balls for that (laughs) i tried and i burned a few times and yeah, they're not, they're not so easy to draft also. I definitely tend to avoid that kind of thing too, but it is really impressive whenever I see someone pull it off. Like, I don't know, if it were me, if I'm just going to throw some play points at the wall or something and try to play some draw sevens, I would probably just give Storm a try. Uh, <laughs> but 
the the amazing decks with mass bond and that kind of thing are are very cool too like upheaval just like leave your opponent with no permanence and you have a ton of lands in play and <laughs> always a good time have you ever combined upheaval with memory jar i've definitely seen other people do it i don't know if i personally have done it or not oh it's so good the best is when <laughs> the opponent doesn't realize what's happening and then they get the long pause when moto tells them to discard all their permanence and then they proceed. <laughs> It's just the best. <laughs> Definitely a good one. Yeah. It sounds a little bit similar to like upheaval mind twist or something like that, maybe, but I don't know. That yeah, seems, yeah. seems a little tough to pull off. That'd be a lot of mana. Yeah, the jar is a little easier. And sometimes the jar finds you the upheaval. Like you don't have it, and you're just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Easy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've got Solemn on here. Solemn's another one of those cards. From early on, when I like started getting good at magic, same time period as Chrome Mox, right? That really like captured my imagination, and I never really lost that with Solemn. I've played it in so many formats. Someone I shouldn't be playing them. I think I'm the only one who has a, a legacy SCG top eight with Solemn. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's just me. What deck did you play then? Uh, I was playing it in a Tez deck, Tezerator, mm, okay. and my curve went up to Karn. So I was playing like two Worm Coil engines and a single seven mana Karn. And then a bunch of like the regular soul lands and talismans and stuff. So a couple solemns weren't the worst thing. Yeah, solemn's a sweet card for sure. It sounds like maybe kind of an old reliable for you. I know I don't think too many people are respecting it these days anymore, or maybe picking it highly in cube. But it's nice to know that it's not completely fallen out of favor. It still has some supporters out there. I think it's a cool card, and it's not. It's weird because it's it's powerful, but it's not inherently incredibly strong like the normal cards you find yeah. in the rather powerful. It fits a lot of decks. It's like it's sweet in the workshop decks, right? Just as like any four man artifact is sweet in the workshop deck. <laughs> I like welding it out. It's satisfying for sure. Yeah, it is good with welder. It's a card that came out when I pretty much first started playing, and I was playing online on the on weird homemade client from some people. I don't even know where I got it, and. I kept losing to Solemn, and I never quite understood why. Like, I, I didn't could grasp the concept of the card advantage at that point, and I just kept losing to to Solomon. <laughs> I mean, it's a four out two two. How's it killing you? Yeah, it's just I don't know. It puts a land into play. It draws a card when it dies, and you've got your two two body. It's three cards. It's, this card is basically ancestral recall. People don't realize. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jung Mi didn't realize for a long time. <laughs> All right. Finally, I've got Cabal Therapy here. Cabal Therapy and me go back <laughs> quite a ways. The one article that I did that kind of like stuck with some folks was my Cabal Therapy article that I wrote from Channel Fireball way back. That one, that was one that like other legacy players that I really respected in the community were like, hey, this article was actually good. And <laughs> so I added it to like lists and stuff. Nice. Uh, yeah. What did that article talk about? How to cast wall therapy. Like, like a, in a specific environment or... What you should be thinking about when you cast mm -hmm. it. So it was like a tactical article. Yeah. Makes sense. It's a tricky card to play. I did one for Brainstorm and one for Force of Will as well. And I think one for Liliana. The one for Liliana was basically like, you don't have to uptick this card. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the whole article. <laughs> I mean, people certainly uptick it a lot, so... Yeah, <laughs> they they definitely do. <laughs> I remember I played a game with Liliana where I was playing against somebody else who was like relatively well known on the the SCG circuit. I won't I won't name them. We played a game where both of us landed Liliana 
upticked it a bunch. And then at the end of it, like I got to win a counter battle and, and like win the game and stuff. And then that just happened again the next game. And the coverage reporter, the person who was doing the match, who was a, a, also a pretty decent player, he leans over after my opponent leaves and was like, I think one of you maybe shouldn't have been upticking Liliana there. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that always like kind of stuck with me. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Cabal Therapy. This card, this card is perhaps the most satisfying card to play in all of Magic. Wow. How, how so? It is. Because there's so much going on. Throughout a game of Magic, like everyone's making plays that signal some information to their opponent. And Cabal Therapy, more than any other card, rewards you for mapping that, for figuring out what's in their hand. And it can also reward you for other strategic play. Like, you can put them on cards and have it still be correct to name a different card because the cards that you put them on, like, don't win the game. And mm -hmm. so then you're naming with Cabal Therapy and knowing that you're probably going to miss, even though you could hit, because it's, like, more correct for you to, like, make sure that the coast is clear with this other thing. I don't know. There's all these layers to this card really cool. um, on top of, like, what you're sacrificing to, to flash it back even. Yeah, for sure. That's really cool. Yeah, I'm not super familiar with the card's, like, constructed applications. So it's definitely cool to, <laughs> to hear about some of the options with it. I mean, I don't know. I expected you to say something like it's really satisfying when you hit, like, three of the same card out of an opponent's hand or something like that but uh it is <laughs> but that's, that's the intuitive reason yeah yeah well that's cool for sure i'm not really a constructed player but now i <laughs> i'm feeling a little more interest in uh, formats like legacy i guess after after hearing this spell book makes me wonder yeah cabal therapy i've played a lot in legacy mostly in nick fit shells with like veteran explorer so using it as like a mana generation thing there yeah but then it's also just a good card. I've been playing it in pre-modern a lot lately to clear the way for uh, resolving an Aluren, and that's been a lot of fun. For me, it's as somebody who doesn't know Constructed Format very well, if I would ever have to play Constructed Format and I pick up a list and I see Cable Therapy in that list, I would put that list down again because <laughs> this card is like, really, you need to know what's going on. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Cabal so Therapy, Cabal, cards like Cabal Therapy and Brainstorm are really good for getting better so if you're like i would mm -hmm. want to improve at legacy then those are cards that you should be playing with and, and learning and stuff because they'll help you like actively get better at the format they're very skill testing cards so you'll improve very quickly but if you just want to like take a deck and like not embarrass yourself at one tournament then <laughs> then yeah maybe you should be playing something different <laughs> yeah <laughs> so I'm curious, you know, Cabal Therapy to me at least seems like it would be very kind of meta dependent in terms of being skill testing, like you were saying. To what extent would you say that's true for like Brainstorm? Like is Brainstorm just, I don't know, like in a vacuum, is that like a skill testing card or does that also like depend on the, the meta in terms of like how people play with it? Brainstorm, Brainstorm is interesting because a lot of people have like very set in stone thoughts on it. And I don't know how deep we want to get into the weeds here. Okay. Uh, but there are some people who just like think you should never cast Brainstorm until like the very last possible moment. And but then you like watch the best storm players in the world and they're like, yep, turn one brainstorm. <laughs> <laughs> Sorcery speed, just like looking for the win. And you're like, all right, well, maybe this card's not so cut and dry. <laughs> From what I've heard, there are a lot of <laughs> in-depth conversations on the card, and it's, I don't know, I feel like it's infamous for being difficult to play well or correctly. So, I don't know, we probably don't have to go super deep into the weeds. I think that's it for the spellbook, right? Unless I missed something on you. Right. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. I feel like I know a decent amount about you just from 
being a viewer of the stream for a while, but this way I feel like I get to know more about like your history. And now I want to go seek out that Cabal Therapy article for sure. And just <laughs> see. You, now you know something about how I view myself. You've seen a bit of my soul. <laughs> Self-identity yeah. right here. For sure. I guess the next question that we, we have for you today is, do you have a cube or multiple cubes that you, you work on in your spare time or that you've drafted with, with friends? Anything you'd want to get onto the Magic Online client or anything like that? Nah, nah I get asked that a lot. I, I have a peasant cube that I had some friends play with me, and I tried out some, some experimental things, like uh, like where if you drafted like one squadron hawk, you'd get like four squadron hawks, mm -hmm. that sort mm -hmm. of deal. And that turned out to be awful. That was a, that was a terrible idea. And I, I had it more high-powered than most peasant cubes, and that was also a terrible idea. That was, like, clearly bad for gameplay. Uh-oh. So it needs, like, a major overhaul. Well, we do love our peasant cubes here. Uh, Jakob and I both have peasant cubes that we, we work on. We're big fans of the lower rarities. I'm glad, too, um, when you said, like, that turned out to be terrible. At first, I thought you were just like talking about the cube on the whole instead of <laughs> instead of Squadron Hawk. So I'm glad, uh, you know, glad you don't seem to feel that way about the entire <laughs> the entire cube. But yeah. Oh no, peasant cube's great. Peasant cube's great overall. Yeah, it's awesome. No, the most egregious one of the like draft one get all of them was seven dwarves. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Someone would just like have pack rats in their deck. <laughs> That's so bad. Like, was the whole cube built around that idea of these collectible cards and you get them immediately? Each each color had one. So, okay. like, blue had... Like frantic inventory, maybe? Accumulated knowledge. Yeah, the older... Frantic inventory. What, what kind of podcast yeah. is this? <laughs> I need one of those boomer podcasts. <laughs> That's my bad. Uh, okay, yeah. So, let's see. What about, what about black? I can't remember what I was doing for those. I think there was... A black card with ripple or something. Mm, oh, the discard one? That's a brutal one. I think it might have been that, yeah. <laughs> we have someone in our server here who's talked about playing or casting one copy of that from hand on turn two and just, like, the entire hand. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny. Um, I had I had one of that rat, the one in a black rat where you get... Plague? Not yeah, it wasn't uh, it wasn't relentless rats. It was the one that cost two mana and only had like one toughness. It's the Dominaria one, right? Yeah, yeah, that one I think. Anyway, Black had that one. <laughs> so if you wanted to, you could fill your deck up with rats. I don't know if anyone ever actually did, but it was an option in the cube. <laughs> Sound like fun. All right. I always just bored into that if something went wrong game one or something like that. Yeah, Mill was supported, so like <laughs> someone could uh could board in a billion rats and <laughs> that does sound like fun would you ever like have you ever considered putting together a cube like in paper or online in addition to your peasant cube or have you thought about like going back to your peasant cube and trying to work out the the kinks maybe power it down a little or yeah yeah i've, I've, I've thought about it obviously cubes are a lot of work i don't need to tell you to that <laughs> um yeah and I've got a lot of other projects, so it's it's pretty low on my on my list right now. But but someday I'll, I'll rework it, and someday I'll have some kind of a, a powered cube available, proxied, of course, so I can you know take it to places where I don't know everybody and not be paranoid about <laughs> people jacking stuff. But I think I would model it very close to Caleb Gannon's cube. I like his cube a lot. Well, I guess that's the perfect segue. So we wanted to talk about that cube anyway. So. Maybe you can tell us why you we loved that cube so much and what made its identity. There were elements of that cube 
that I didn't know that I wanted in a cube and never could have guessed and I wouldn't have like reached it on my own, but it's like it was designed for me specifically. That cube was uh that cube was very good for me. That sounds very dreamy. <laughs> <laughs> I liked that it had a really low emphasis on planeswalkers. So you're just playing this like very old school style of magic. And it also didn't have much of an emphasis on just like cards that won the game on their own or uh, two card combinations. Usually you had to do a little bit of work. You had to actually deck build, right? You had to have a deck where all the cards have these synergies with each other so that they can become like more than the sum of their parts and do something really like unique and interesting and cool. And that just happened every time. Like every time you had a good deck, it would be doing something unique and interesting and cool. And that's just good gameplay. That's just fun. Well, that's awesome too. I mean, being able to do something unique like every time you draft it is that <laughs> that's not something that I think you could say about most cubes or maybe almost any cubes. I'm sure you've heard it a million times, but it's got to be the first name connection, right? There's a cube. It's like your favorite cube or whatever. It's made by someone called Caleb. Yeah, my uh, my chat was joking about that a lot. They're like, "Oh, you're winning at this so much. They put your name on it." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> gonna say caleb gannon better watch out or they're gonna name it after you instead of him like (laughs) (laughs) there's a huge nostalgia factor with that cube as well a bunch of like old cards that have never seen play in like the 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 regular vintage cube but if you played old kitchen table magic way back when i don't know i I always love playing with fecundity Mm. in kitchen table magic it's like one of my favorite cards and it was in this cube and actually like good in this cube and you can build around it and just draw the cards in the world and oh man (laughs) that's pretty sweet Anyway, were there ever any matchups for you with that card where it felt like it was like a liability to put into play? Oh yeah, there were there were there were a few cards like that. Mm-hmm. There was that Mirrodin one where like anytime someone played a creature, oh. they got a one one mirror token. Genesis Chamber. So sometimes, yeah. yeah, yeah, Genesis Chamber. So sometimes you'd be playing this this deck where it's like really good in your deck, right? Because you're doing artifact stuff, and then your opponent just has more creatures than you, and it's <laughs> and it's actually like a liability. And like, oh, maybe I shouldn't cast this. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's always fun for sure. Something I was thinking about when you said that the decks were more than the sum of their parts and almost very synergistic, I was wondering, was it ever then dangerous that you wouldn't make playables because cards were too specific for certain yeah, synergies, for certain archetypes, I guess? Well, there were a lot of cards that fit multiple archetypes, right? Yeah. Like an artifact flyer fits the ninja deck and then also fits the, the artifact deck. Yeah, I, I love like these that. kind of cards, also when building cubes myself. I mean... Um... Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I didn't have that problem a lot. I, I did have a couple of train wrecks where my lane wasn't as open as I thought it was, but very, very few. Yeah, so I guess it's uh, then very well designed, but I mean, we, we expected that from Caleb Gannon. Yeah. But it's it's something that when, when you build something, try to build something similar where you need to look out for that issue that if it's too much on rails and not enough overlap cards you really open it up for people to train wreck i'm also like kind of a terrible person to ask about faults with that cube (laughs) because of survivorship bias i didn't lose that cube very much i started off going 38 and 2 at one point (laughs) so at at one point i had like a 95 percent win rate after my first like 40 (laughs) matches yeah just a modest win rate there you know just and i drafted it every day for the week that it was out and i ended up in the high 80s which is much more human (laughs) (laughs) in in terms of like faults with that cube i'm the actual worst person that you could be asking i think (laughs) well we got to make it hard on you right we have to (laughs) yeah you want me to sing its praises i can do that for an hour but (laughs) (laughs) was there 
any archetype or cards that you were really surprised and you loved after playing with them for one time, for the first time? There were cards that have been in the regular Vintage Cube that have been, like, wholly unimpressive and that I don't think, like, really belonged there that really got their chance to hum in the Caleb Gannon Cube. So, like, cards like Bazaar of Baghdad and Survival of the Fittest just aren't oh, yeah. actually supported in the regular Vintage Cube anymore. There's no Squee, there's no Vengevine, there's no that new 8-8 Trampler. New. Okay. <laughs> From the first Modern Horizons, not that new. But anyway. Hogak, right? Yeah, Hogak. There aren't any of those, like, support cards. So those cards, like Survival and Bazaar, while they have that, like, big nostalgia value, they only, like, really fit in, like, Bad Reanimator or something. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, so they always end up going late, and and it's like kind of depressing seeing them like going around the table. Like, yeah, I, don't know. I think it's even more depressing when you see somebody play them that clearly shouldn't. That's oh yeah, and they just like don't know that they re they remember yeah. it from constructed, and they don't realize that maybe it shouldn't be in their deck. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's kind of painful to see for sure. I think even like Master of Death or whatever was. Um... Was in that cube, right? The the three one that's kind of a it does a squee impression. Like you pay a life and it comes back. Just a couple more enablers there for the yeah, yeah for survival and stuff. Yeah, I did pair that with survival once. Yeah, that card's sweet. Yeah, it's a. Cool. I've been playing it a little. I know I've been, I've talked about Legacy way too much for a cube podcast, <laughs> and for that I apologize. <laughs> I've been playing that one a little bit in Legacy alongside Dak Faden, so it's like a squee that you can pitch to force a will. Gotcha. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Kind of fun. Well, yeah, no worries, by the way, about talking about Legacy. We're not here to penalize you for <laughs> for talking about like your magic experience. When we're talking about these card interactions and the, how different decks worked, it's still always very interesting for cube building. Like You get ideas of where you want to build a new cube or where you want to lead an archetype, maybe. I think that's it's, it's really nice. We're not talking percentage shares of decks in the metagame now, so... Um, I'm, I'm still very happy about the mentionings of legacy decks of old. <laughs> awesome. So I think if I recall correctly, another thing that was true about your run in uh, Caleb Yannon's cube is you didn't really draft one archetype over and over, right? I think you drafted like quite a variety of, of different decks and you were successful with a ton of, well, just a ton of different stuff, right? Yeah, just whatever looked sweet. <laughs> Yeah. So when you started off a draft in this, what did you prioritize? Cards that lead you down a synergy pathway or stuff to disrupt opposing synergy? What is What was the first thing you were looking for opening a pack? I really like build arounds. I really like having a direction with my draft. And then within the first couple of picks after I build, I like grab like one of the best build arounds in the format, right? I should have an idea of whether that lane is actually open or not. And if I have to mm -hmm. adjust or... Or what have you. And that's true for like any limited format, not just cube. I like having a direction early on, especially when I don't really know what I'm doing. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I know that some people feel the opposite way and they really like to stay open, try to take colorless cards and kind of, I don't know, deprive themselves of a direction. But interesting to hear that um that you feel the opposite way. I'm curious too, um, do you find yourself often like switching from the direction that you picked or were you usually able to commit to what you wanted to early on uh usually it works out usually it works out yeah and then sometimes you have to bail or adjust or what have you and that's like a normal part of drafting mm -hmm. whether you're looking for a direction early or not right you can't really avoid that yeah, yeah that's true for sure i love the have to bail and then it works out nothing makes me feel as smart <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm also curious if I recall, I think this cube was powered and I think I remember reading in the description about this cube that something along the lines of, even though I, Caleb, know that people are going to be skeptical of this, sometimes it's going to be correct to, to pass power. And I know that that can be a pretty hot topic for people or just, you know, something that people really do not <laughs> want to do. I'm curious, did you find yourself taking certain synergistic cards over pieces of power like relatively often or at all? Pretty rarely. <laughs> for most of the time you would take the power in those scenarios or? Most of the time I was still taking power, yeah. The impact of power on the cube was much less. Like if you're Black Lotusing into a like a Grey Ogre or something, it's a little bit different than if you're Black Lotusing into like a Hero Blade Hold, right? Mm -hmm. Or or some four mana Planeswalker or what have you. Right. So be because the cube is like synergy based, those cards aren't as like warping for gameplay, and the gameplay ends up actually being like much much better, despite the fact that it's still a powered cube. Mm -hmm. But you still take them. You still you still draft them. They're still great. They're still the best cards. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Do you think the experience with this cube would be as good or better if it just were not powered? Uh, I, I like having the power in there. I don't know how much of that is because I'm a streamer and it's good to have like something in the cube that people can like recognize, especially when you're dealing with a novelty cube that people aren't like super familiar with. They can still get excited that you opened up a Black Lotus, right? It still gives yeah. people something to be hyped over. For sure. Okay, follow-up question. How often do you find yourself making picks because of pressure you perceive from from chat or things like that? If chat's like, oh my gosh, a Black Lotus, are you just like, I'm going to upset a lot of people today and just pass this Black Lotus? Or I don't know. How do you how do you respond to that kind of <laughs> to that kind of interaction? Oh, either way, it's fun. Okay. Like if you take not the Black Lotus and like upset a lot of people, that's great. That's, that's so much fun. And if you take the Black Lotus and everyone's like happy, that's also fun. There's there's no losing there. there. Yeah. Well, that's good to hear. I know for some streamers, especially people just starting off, like the pressure of chat can feel like really intimidating. I mean, <laughs> just like you were saying earlier, like you don't need to tell us that like building a cube is hard. I probably don't need to tell you that streaming is hard. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've been at it for a bit. Yeah. You said earlier that you started off like 38 and 2 or something like that. What was the streak of matches you won in a row? Was it like 35-ish or? Well, it, it was 38. Okay. It was a 38 match. I, I started off 0 and 2. Gotcha. And then I won 38 mm. in a row. And then and then I lost the streak by losing five mana crypts oh, no. uh, after playing it <laughs> off of a turn one mana crypt. And if I had won any of them, uh, I had the win on the final turn. Oh no! <laughs> my but, opponent did, like hit me with a vendillion click like once or something it was <laughs> fucking ridiculous they like lava spiked you and that was lethal <laughs> yikes yeah and yeah that sounds oh i don't know i think that would probably tilt me quite a bit just thinking like <laughs> longest like streak in my entire life just stupid mana crypt like wrecks the whole thing <laughs> But it was already like an inhuman streak, so like it had to end sometime, yeah. you know? That's kind of an epic way for it to die, I yeah, think. Yeah, that's pretty memorable. Yeah. It's at least a good story. Yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, I'm never going to win 30 ma eight matches of anything in the <laughs> ever again, you well, know? Yeah. Until that cube comes back, <laughs> maybe. 
<laughs> well, well, but, but everybody that is will have more experience playing it now. It'll be it'll be harder. Oh, you it'll know? definitely be harder. But I mean, it's not outside yeah. of the realm of possibility. <laughs> uh, just like five mana crypt flips aren't right. Yeah, and if things come back like after half a year, people have forgotten a lot. That's true. Sure, sure. So, they got to listen to this episode and and brush up for uh <laughs> for the return of Caleb G's cube. Yeah, I don't know. I was kind of thinking the the O2 at the beginning said it was an inhuman streak. That was probably just to try to convince some some viewers that you were actually a person, right? Just from the mindset <laughs> of like, oh yes, I'm I'm fallible. Look, I can lose some matches and then <laughs> turn that off with the switch. When I would actually like to blame Caleb Gannon <laughs> for that. Um, for the the losing start. Was he there with you for that draft? <laughs> he was, oh. yes. He guessed it on the stream. And so we were like talking while uh, while the draft happened. I'm not seriously blaming <laughs> him. That was I just thought it'd be funny. This is more points yeah, for but... the cube being named after you though, instead of him. So. <laughs> better watch out. He uh he did give me some like really key insights that helped me early on, like how good some of the soft removal is. Disfigure mm. in that cube was a lot closer to Swords to Plowshares than it mm -hmm. would be in like any other cube just because there's all these like small synergy based creatures. It just kills mostly everything. Interesting. Well, he gave, gave that advice to you and all your viewers though. So <laughs> <That's true>. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not that that is the only reason why you, why you crush everyone. <laughs> sure. Yeah, no, that's that's really quite an insane streak. Off the top of my head, I think my longest winning streak is roughly half of that. So <laughs> not super close. Uh, That's still very impressive. Uh, I mean, I will say we do have a member on our Discord. I think he must have lost his streak. He had, I think, 30 match wins in a row of Baldur's Gate sealed or something, which, you know, it's another like once in a lifetime streak, probably. So that's pretty amazing think, yeah. that you two both, you know, went on tears like that roughly the same time. So magic's getting easier. <laughs> That's all there is to it. Something I wanted to talk about, it's only tangentially related, but when you were talking about feeling like a cube was made for you, uh, to speak for Jakob a little bit, and correct me if I'm wrong, but one of, at least as far as I am aware, one of Jakob's favorite cubes that he's played is the artifact cube that I designed. And yeah. also to brag about Jakob a little bit, knowing that he would never do it about himself, <laughs> he was undefeated in David McDarby's artifact cube and in my artifact cube. And we've only done a couple drafts of mine but what david mcdarby's he did like six or something so that's is that nice <laughs> or wait yeah. yeah but i don't actually remember if, <laughs> if i won yes but i don't remember if oh no whatever okay yeah <laughs> i mean i won but it was very forgettable and easy <laughs> yeah it wasn't that many i don't i don't know <laughs> just like took all the it worked and, just quite well yeah yeah, no, it was pretty insane though, um, for sure. I it's been a while for me since I've since I've been on a heater like that. So I'm hoping to if magic's getting easier, I'm hoping to to jump on the train soon. I've always been really liking the the theme cubes. Um, something like the proliferate cube or artifact yeah. cube where um seemingly everything interacts with, with with each other in a way that they don't in other formats. I always really like that. Oh, big, big agree. Huge agree. I, I I wish they were a little bit more popular, the theme cubes. Mm -hmm. A lot of people just like don't really know what's going on and don't want to invest the time and stuff. Yeah. I think I, I, I love learning new cubes. It's one of my favorite things in Magic. Well, I have to ask yeah. you now, are you planning on going to KubeCon this year? Yeah, it's like, I don't know, like 10 minutes from my house. <laughs> well, that's good. That seems like... Yeah, <laughs> 
a bunch of my viewers are like crashing in my like in my guest bedrooms and stuff. That's awesome. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Should be sweet. I'll be starting in a new uh, position here soon, but if somehow, oh, like it's a public office, if somehow they are super slow and it's only starting after KubeCon, then I don't know, I will try to make that happen. But from Europe... You're going to fly to the States for KubeCon? <laughs> I would love to do it, but it's like not, it's not cheap and it's like, yeah, just at the start of a new job, I can't take days off. Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, it's definitely rough. It'd be wild though. It'd be awesome. I would love to do that. Yeah. It, the chances of that are very low. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Chances are a little bit better for me, but I don't know. I'm in grad school. I've got a ridiculous amount of debt hanging over me, so <laughs> I don't know. That would be it. Would definitely be quite an expense for me, but probably not the same level as you know, <laughs> going across the world, like into a different continent and hemisphere and all that. So. It's probably only going to get better too, right? Like cons only get better as they age, as like people yeah, figure stuff that's out. True. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, there's already so many people that I would like to meet there. That's the main thing. Yeah. Oh like, yeah. yeah. The playing of Cube, we get plenty of that over MTGO with our Discord. Many cool cubes and good competition also. But meeting the people in real life is just always something completely different. Sure. Yeah. That is, I think, the main thing. Yeah. I just got to meet our last guest on the podcast in person pretty recently, Opa. And yeah, that was awesome. So hoping I get to meet more people in the, the Cube community soon because, I don't know, it's just always a pleasure. So a uh, little bittersweet moment there. <laughs> I think now it's probably a good time to move on to Vintage Cube, which what is there to say about Vintage Cube that hasn't been said? It's a super popular Cube. It was up for a month. Most events are not up for, you know, even two weeks. So <laughs> yeah, lots of people love this cube. Lots of people stream this cube. Lots of people watch this cube. I'm <laughs> definitely in the viewer camp. How did you feel about this this last season of uh, Vintage Cube, Caleb? Oh, I loved it. I loved it, yeah. One of the top three or four iterations of the cube. I streamed every day for a month, so... Every day? Every day. Every I did like six and a half hours a day of Vintage Cube. Really enjoyed myself. Didn't oh. uh, didn't really feel much burnout or anything. That's crazy. It was sweet. Crazy. Yeah. Really built up the the stamina, I guess, from you know all the years of streaming to be able to go for a whole month like that. That's. I guess. <laughs> when I first kicked off streaming full time, I did a 365 a year of streaming. Oh wow. And I used to do 24 hour streams semi regularly back then. Great. And now I'm in my 30s. <laughs> <laughs> and. I don't think my stamina is nearly as good. Yeah. 24 hour streams were good for the European viewers. Yeah. I tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Definitely true. And fun VODs for sure, too. But is anyone ever really okay after a 24 hour stream? I don't know. I feel like, like Yiki, uh, he did, what was it? It was like 18 hours or something. He he was like, I'm going to go for like 20 hours or so. He got to hour like 17. He's like, I hate this. I think I'm out of here. appropriate yeah the very first 24-hour stream i ever did so i was i was in madison at that i moved here from st louis and i didn't have a computer desk or anything uh anything like that i was just like sleep this mattress that was on the floor that was in the room when i moved in <laughs> and so i just wow. was just like right yeah and my monitors were up on like cardboard boxes and i had a i would just like have the keyboard on my lap and a book to put my mouse on and that was like my streaming setup <laughs> 
which would freak people out because I would like stand up to go to the bathroom sometimes and they would see my feet and they're like, what's going on? Because <laughs> they were just two months to get like a computer desk. <laughs> but halfway through this stream, I uh, I spilled some granola on my lap and I was like, oh shit. And so I'm like picking up the granola out of my lap and then I knocked over my drink. And so that spilled all over me as well. And I'm looking down at this like soggy granola mess that's like <laughs> my bed. And like, I'm only I'm only at like hour like 13 or something oh, of the 24 no. hour stream. And I was just so <laughs> sad. And I'm like, there's no way I can clean all this up. And this is just my life now. This is just how I live. This is it. <laughs> and I just powered through it. Thanks. Wow. This brings a new meaning to the adjective of granola to describe a person. That's that's rough. <laughs> I wrote an article on the Vintage Cube mm-hmm. uh, cards that I thought did really well, cards that I thought should be cut or whatever. It's on my Patreon. It's a free article. Yeah. So you can go check that out if you want yeah. to, if you want to read through it all. Yeah. We will link that. We my... have also read it. And oh. um, yeah, I even this commented on Twitter on uh, one of your points. Yeah, you said the, the and... Lurus thing, right? Yeah, I'm the, I'm the Lurus guy. <laughs> the Lurus guy. What did you say again? Do you Do you remember? I just wanted to note that the um, the land, what is it? The Volrath Stronghold. Volrath Stronghold, yeah. Like Volrath Stronghold in the Lurus archetype, right? right yeah, right. Can, as, as, with that as your companion, that it can be playable. It's not even great, so it wouldn't be a big hit on the archetype if it went away, but outside of that, I would never put it in my deck. <laughs> sure, yeah. Yeah, I was making the case that uh, Volrath Stronghold didn't have enough homes or whatever and that's a really good point i hadn't really like messed around with Lurus archetypes and i could see like in the deck where you just like always have a Lurus that Vol- i could see the volrath stronghold being very good for sure yeah because you're relying so much on it like you're building your whole deck around it mm-hmm. naturally because of the claws and then it's just nice to have uh have some security there yeah make it actually unkillable yeah like the thing is that i was a bit surprised when you said that you haven't messed much around with Lurus because i've when I watch you, you always draft different things. And I have now for, I think, two seasons of Vintage Cube. I never play as much as you, but I've been stuck on Lurus. I, like, at least half my drafts, probably more than half my drafts, I force Lurus, try to get it. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't, sometimes I have to salvage, but just to blindly draft towards the Lurus that might come in pack three. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, that's fun. I've been completely obsessed with that. And I also had decent like success with it yeah Um, and i wanted to like i always ask when i'm watching like smaller streamer or somebody have they tried that do you want to try that (laughs) and but it's hard to convince people of this of the strategy but it's so much fun it is a very all-in uh kind of archetype it's also a really awesome one i personally i don't I get less enjoyment out of playing Vintage Cube lately than than I used to, however many years ago. But I I still love to watch it because I don't know I love Cube content and it's just like fun to hang out with people and chat. I'm always there when uh, when someone's doing a Luris draft. I feel like I don't know. It's like I get a notification or something. I I somehow manage to see it. I don't know. <laughs> and yeah, like I've seen a bunch of Jakob's Luris drafts and they're all amazing. One of the really cool things about Luris, I feel like. There are a bunch of like questionable cards in the cube or like cards that are relatively unsupported. And then like when you put them all together in the like quote unquote Luris deck, suddenly everything makes a lot more sense. The one card that you want to take, it seems like that other people are actually interested in is like Retrofitter Foundry. But then once you get that, you get like the Goblin Bombardment and you get like the 
Bloodgast, you get the Skyclave Shade, and you just have all these crappy cards that no one else wants, and... <laughs> yeah, or Carrion Feeder. Mm, yeah. Also, not a good card, but it saves your Lurus from dying to the Exile removal. That's great! <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Yeah, kind of in the, like, bizarre slash, like, survival camp, I feel, where, like, the cards aren't, like, inherently bad or anything, but they're just, like, not supported to the extent they need to be for them to, I don't know, like, reach their ceiling of, of power level. I think probably still make the argument that, like, bizarre, the ceiling of that card is much higher than something like Carrion Feeder. Yeah, and I wanted to say a disclaimer. I do agree that these cards should be cut from the cube, but when you play Lurus and also are in many colors, then you are really scrapping for playables, and then you have to play cards like Carrion Feeder and Goblin Bombardment that you get as basically last picks, but they're still legal in your companion deck. Mm -hmm. So, so I guess. just cut them, it's fine, but as long as they are there, I might play them. <laughs> what do you all think about Swift Reconfiguration? Uh, I like to put it on my Lurus. <laughs> that's, a, yeah. that's a card where I feel like most people think it does more than it actually does, and they cast it incorrectly. Is that is that an accurate assessment? Would you guys say? I think it like removes abilities, but then they actually end up like protecting something by accident. Like they put it on, yeah, say, like a grim or, on like a, or yeah. a dark conflict yeah. or a consecrated <laughs> things or something, and just make it harder to kill. It's just like thank you for the upgrade. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I had a hypercut of every time that card was cast against me on my stream, it would have like yakety sacks playing along it because. <laughs> It was just, <laughs> I, th I think my, I think I had like a opponent cast it to save their own dark confident once nice. and every I other time it was just like awful. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a cool card, but it's not necessarily powerful enough and leads to a lot of misplaced by people who haven't wrapped their mind a around lot of the field beds, right? Yeah. yeah. That's my concern with the cube is that if someone like plays their new removal spell and it doesn't do what they think that it's going to do. And they have like a really like feel bad moment. Like, are they going to want a cube again? Like, I, I want people to draft again. You know, I want opponents. Yeah, sure. And this is not something they're entering for free. It kind of sucks to be like, well, you know, I just pissed away my play points because I didn't understand how this card worked or whatever. So, and it does have a combo with Devoted Druid. Yeah, that's like cool. I think that's like a reason to have it in the cube. Sure. Um, I know, I know, Geeky Jackson likes like any kind of efficient removal in his white aggro decks. Yeah whatsoever so like he's a fan of swift reconfiguration yeah. just as like another oust or something to clear a blocker out of the way mm -hmm. yeah but it's not even necessary there like you're not really losing that much when you cut it from the cube so therefore i right. think it's yeah. a pretty safe cut yeah i agree you could add like unexpectedly absent or mm -hmm. some some other similar thing sure absent i think is well i don't know it's just uh, i've made the joke before but i'll make it again it's very meta right that it's not in the cube right now unexpectedly <laughs> so, yeah this card is also slightly confusing though i think if it were just a white white spell people would take it higher and <laughs> it is literally spell. just white white put it on top of their library yes like no x <laughs> yeah <laughs> if, that like wasn't printed, if that wasn't printed there i think people would pick it higher yeah. <laughs> i don't know i think it's it confused people maybe i don't know i'd like to run a poll like what does this card do but I don't know. Whenever you run like a Twitter poll and that kind of thing, it's only like enfranchised players anyway who are answering. So yeah, that's the problem. Yeah, fuck those people. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> um, so glad we all agree. Hard stance. I think the card it. It probably, it's a contender for the cube, but I think overall it's not worth it. It doesn't add a ton. And even though like, you know, the rate is decent, 
the effect is a little confusing and does create some feel bads. So something that I've been hoping to talk with Kiki about is it seems like mono white has changed. It's gone from what I would consider a very like straightforward, streamlined, like aggressive deck. That's the deck that I drafted all the time. But since Palace Jailer was, you know, allowed back into <laughs> Vintage Cube and since they have added Solitude as well, uh, you have cards like that with, with the Recruiter. Now it seems like you're able to have the most success with kind of a proactive mid-range strategy, I feel like is the maybe the best way to describe it. So um, I think I'm the only, you know, crazy person here getting my... <laughs> my aggression out with, with the monocolor decks. So maybe I'll table that that discussion for a different time. Unless, you know, maybe I'm mistaken. White Weedy is sweet. I'll draft White Weedy. How often? Solitude rules, too. How often do I draft it? Uh, whenever I feel like it. So, I don't know. <laughs> maybe, like, once an evening, once every other day or something. Okay. Yeah, that's more often than I thought. Yeah. I thought that, like, I don't know, maybe once every, like, ten drafts kind of thing, but... Yeah, well, I mean, if I'm doing seven drafts a night, wow. then that's once every other day, right? <laughs> that's yeah. wild. Yeah, I did not realize it was so many in a night. Really? Seven in seven drafts in seven hours of streaming is... Uh, well, well, not necessarily a seven-hour stream, right? So this last yeah. month, I did a stream every day thing, and some of those days were shorter, and some of them were longer. So oh, I did okay. some 10-hour streams, and in those yeah. ones, I got seven drafts in. Sure. So that's where I was pulling that number from. But yeah. Nice. That is... You're right. In a more normal seven hour or seven hour stream, you'd be doing like four or five for sure. Yeah. I was like, I must be a really slow player or something. Like <laughs> I don't know how you're how you're pumped up. I mean if you're drafting white weenie or mono red, you can do a draft in an hour. Especially if you're me and you're like just clicking <laughs> clicking on cards <laughs> sideways. And then your control deck might take like over two hours. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it, it all evens out. <laughs> yeah. A lot of that depends on your opponent though. Like I've had a few drafts. And like just over 40 minutes, I think my fastest draft was mono red, where I drafted and played all the rounds in like 42 wow. minutes or something along those lines. My fastest that I that I that I noticed anyway, or kept track of. But a lot of that depends on the speed of your opponents, right? Like the, the other people in the draft queue have to actually be drafting the cards. <laughs> there yep. can't be someone like goofing or whatever, slowing it all down. Sure. And, you and then no matter how fast your, your deck is, like your opponent still has to make plays. Right, that's true. What you just mentioned made me remember something that I wanted to ask you, that the control decks take longer. Is there still very viable control decks in the MTGO Vintage Cube? Cause oh, yeah. I haven't drafted them in a long time. Well, blue light control is still a staple. Yeah. Sorry, that 5-mana uh, that 5-5, five five five, that uh, Scarab God. Mm. Yep. I think Scarab God was the main reason to pull me out of blue light control for like a different color set, if to play like Grixis or something. Mm -hmm. And that card's still great. That card still wins games on its own, so <laughs> that's totally fine too. I've heard other people yeah. make uh, pretty similar comments, saying things like, "The only time I lose to blue black is when there's a scarab god involved," and that kind of thing. So, um. yeah. <laughs> yeah, that card's that card that card's cracked, as the zoomers might say. <laughs> right, as the the people who would say frantic inventory instead of a <laughs> instead of accumulated knowledge <laughs> might say. So obviously, you were really getting a lot of reps in through this month of streaming. Do you have any like goals or desires in mind uh, regarding like the trophy leaderboard, or is that just kind of like something in the background for you, like as you were grinding? Or so I have never been trophy leader. I've been in the top three like a whole slew of times, just because I enjoy cube and I play it a ton, and and I sometimes I sometimes I do a lot of winning. But usually you have to 
really want to be trophy leader. <laughs> like that has to be yes. your specific goal. What I found is if I'm ahead of the pack on the last few days or or even just in the running or what have you, somebody is going to want to go a little harder, sleep a little less, play a few more rounds uh, and get those last wins. And I, that person will not be me. I will, uh, I, I will go to bed at some point and be like, yep, all right, you win, GG. <laughs> we spent all month on this race, and I'm going to go take a nap now. <laughs> I pulled. I'm going to go. If that sleep deprivation and our streaming thing would not be a problem for you, and you would want to go for the trophy lead, would you draft differently than you do currently when you stream, or would you still draft the uh, so I can actually give you some specific examples of this. Once a year, we've been doing a 4e4, or I guess the last one was 5e5, cube off for charity mm -hmm. in December. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and I've been on uh, Team Jbro's team twice for that. Both times, I performed pretty well. And the first time, I like adjusted my strategy, because the, the format for it is like two days. You can play as many cubes as you want but it has to be within this two-day time frame. So it's like a it's like a trophy race, but it's like condensed into a two-day thing. Mm -hmm. And it's not just for bragging rights. You're also winning money for charity for this like good cause or yep. whatever, which makes it like way easier for me to, you know, miss a couple more hours of sleep and, and like get a few more drafts in. Like that's much more appealing to me personally mm -hmm. as an incentivizer. And in those, I do adjust my drafting slightly. The first time... Uh, I went much harder on white and red. My theory was if you can finish a mama red league in an hour yep. and it takes you two hours to do a blue white control league, then your win rate for blue white control has to be like 10% higher or something than with the mono red deck or mm -hmm. the mono white yeah. deck, which isn't the case. Like the, the mono red and mono white are both great decks. So if you can lean towards aggro in uh, like a condensed trophy race, it makes a lot of sense. And I think that's probably the case for a longer trophy race, too. If you really wanted to, yep. to, to be trophy leader and nothing else, then, then leaning towards aggro decks probably makes a lot of sense. That said, your win rate's going to be a lot higher if you draft what's open. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Very, very good thoughts there. Everybody aspiring to also be a trophy leader. <laughs> I'm like out of breath from that sentence. Take a minute if you want. Yeah. Just, you know, the pace you want to go. I, I was for the last... Um, charity cube event i was really cheering for aya mm -hmm. and she did amazing but i sadly the time when you're always doing it is family time for me so i can barely watch at all it's always sad but <laughs> still an amazing event yeah yeah she ruled yeah i watched a ton of both of you guys and yeah it was it was amazing if i recall i think she started off super hot like she just kept trophying like over and over and then i think I think you guys were on opposite teams, but I don't really remember. And then, you were, uh, yeah. And then I feel like you just kind of kept creeping up. And I think I think I remember something like a trophy rate for you of like north of fifty percent, which is always like pretty nutty. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah that was pretty nuts. Yeah. And I don't remember the exact number, but I feel like. Uh, however you performed last year was like pretty similar. Like <laughs> it was also like pretty nuts. Yeah. I think I hit a number that after, after the weekend, I was like, I don't think I'm going to hit that again on this event or I don't know. It's arrogant, but I'd be surprised if like anybody hit it next year. I don't even remember what it was. I think it was like 18 or something. Maybe we can say, we can something say impressed if, if someone else hit it. <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. I'd be, I'd be like super impressed if someone, if someone cracked yeah. that. That'd be awesome. 
frankly, I, I was not surprised to see, see you performing well again this year. Like it was after last year, very similar kind of environment. Well, last year I thought I overperformed a little bit and then this, la and then this more recent year I did better. So like, <laughs> I definitely think I overperformed this last or one. Or are you just consistently underestimating yourself, right? <laughs> <laughs> Could be either. If it Anyone that's listened to this whole podcast and me talking about how great my win rates are and stuff will not have the impression that I'm consistently <laughs> underestimating myself. That is, I think I've just like clearly dispelled everybody of that at this point. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Didn't dispel it for me. Still ask the question. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's awesome. And that is, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the similar event since you did mention Cube for Charity and that is like the direct thing that yes. uh, that uh that kind of inspired what we're thinking of doing this coming week so uh, there's a rise of the eldrazi flashback coming up i'm sure by the time this episode is released it'll be in the past so hopefully this event will have been a success yeah so we were thinking that the acronym for rise of the eldrazi is roe and that got me thinking about roe versus wade which was recently overturned here uh in the united states uh. yeah and um you know, that really is a big win for a lot of people, but it also causes huge issues, issues connected to healthcare for people who are not wanting to give birth, but ended up pregnant anyway, you know, often not by choice. And even if people did choose to try to become pregnant, there are always health complications that can arise and such things. But, you know, this is a topic that we could talk about for a super long time. So I'm just going to jump to the end of this thought and say that um, we are about to run um, slash will have run by the time this comes out, you know, a fundraiser for uh, causes that are going to benefit uh, Roe versus Wade, basically, even though uh, it no longer exists. So anything that will provide abortion funds or other pro-choice organizations that we can support will be streaming, Jakob and I, and pretty much anyone else we can, we can get on board. We have several other people with us at this point. Maybe Caleb will join us, we'll see, Not uh, no pressure. Awesome. Love the idea. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, awesome. Yeah, I guess I'll, I'll have to count you in for that then. And I'll make sure um catch some of the streams. I'm kind of planning on, because at that point, I will have finished my finals for uh, the semester of grad school. So I'm, I'm thinking I might <laughs> exhaust myself a little bit and just like stream as much as like humanly possible to, you know, to see if I can accomplish something supporting this cause. And I know it's catchy. <laughs> Rise of Eldrazi for row, row for row. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really looking yeah. forward to it. So um, it's great to hear so much support for this in the in the community. And yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Excited to see how it goes for sure. You certainly roped me. Uh, in. <laughs> oh, inappropriate. I don't know if I hear enough of those puns from you on stream like that. That's <laughs> I always enjoy those. Those are excellent. I once made a pun about someone's name. And their friend thought it was so funny that they have been like a 50 plus month subscriber to my stream. <laughs> For what? And they like repeatedly make like reference the pun and That's stuff. That's awesome. It's like very long running. Like yeah. life changing for that person. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. The person's last name was Moffitt, M O F F I T. Mm -hmm. And I told him that he was going to be throwing mole fits after I beat him in our match. <laughs> anyway, that was, that was the pun. Nice. <laughs> 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 yeah that is a good one for sure i don't know i feel like the puns that make me cringe the most are the best like the <laughs> the ones that are the most painful oh, yeah. are also the most enjoyable so. yeah that's the goal that's the goal <laughs>
I would tell you a Cthulhu pun, but I only know old ones. Oh, God. <laughs> um, All right. Um, All right. So uh, moving on. <laughs> no, I think we don't have anything anymore on our on our list here, and it is getting a little bit late for me. Oh, for sure. But I still wanted to wish Magic Online a happy 20th birthday. Um, first episode after the celebrations on we're on MTGO and we are playing a lot on MTGO basically our whole community is founded on MTGO and I hope uh, it will survive much longer yeah that's a really interesting <laughs> uh birthday celebration there it's you know like the and many more definitely has like the fingers crossed <laughs> on the end like yeah. yes definitely <laughs> <laughs> Like a question mark there, and many more. Yeah, Yeah, I don't know. We've definitely seen uh, some changes to the client lately with Daybreak taking over and that kind of thing. But I mean, it's been a really awesome client for so long. The fact that it's still around at this point, despite Arena being implemented, is is pretty crazy. And the fact that it's as popular as it is and like draws so many people in for events like Vintage Cube. So I don't know. Yeah, really special. Yeah, and they keep they keep coming up with fancy new bugs like. In the most recent um, Double Masters event, where you can uh, draft the same card from one pack twice, <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. Just take that Mool Drifter, the Foil Mool Drifter, and end up with two Foil Mool Drifters. <laughs> yeah. You don't even need the two first picks thing. Just like build the. No, you uh, don't need that. The bug is built right into the client. Yeah, I don't know. And it's just for so few cards. It's just, I think it's just really the Foil Mool Drifter and Fiery Fall. The only card that happens with it's I can't I can't understand how how. <laughs> it's a really good thing. Yeah, I, I love Moto. My viewers love I Moto. Love I would survive if Moto wasn't around, but I would be less happy yeah. for sure. So I'm glad it's yeah. here. Thank you, Moto. <laughs> thank you, Moto. Yeah, thank you, Moto. Yeah, I don't even know really what I would do without Magic Online because unlike Jakob, I really I play Zero Arena. I've tried in the past, but just hasn't really stuck for me. So. I don't know, maybe I'd be like a, a paper player like every few months or something, but I it would be a real tragedy for me uh, without Magic Online. So, I don't know, I adore the client. Uh, I've been playing for a while. It's really like what got me into the game. And now like, you know, a ton of people in the community, like a ton of friends I've made, I know like from the client. So it's definitely important to me and I hope it sticks around. I don't think it'll stick around forever. I'm not going to be that optimistic. The longer it's The longer it's here, the better for sure. Yeah, and talking about that community, I want to invite everybody again to join our Discord server. Right now we have, I would say, at least three, four drafts per week that are firing, maybe even more. We have some addicts in the server. We have some people who, there isn't a draft per day, they have something to say about it. So <laughs> if you want to draft that kind of volume, you know, you're, you've come to the right place, so free drafts we do flashbacks of formats that haven't been on mtgo for a long time we do chaos drafts i know they're not for for caleb but they are for some other I people thought, i thought like caleb's, and a lot I of cube. caleb's favorite format was chaos is that <laughs> am i wrong on that oh man just the worst gameplay <laughs> <laughs> i did sneak a little bit over there so bad. <laughs> Yeah, good. We good. We talked about it. Not that uh, every one of our listeners falls in love with you. Maybe now they have can have some second thoughts. 
I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you so much for for joining us. Hope I wasn't pestering you too much of getting a chance to talk, but I don't know. It was a really lovely conversation, I thought. And talking to, I guess as Jakob put it, a cube celebrity is always a privilege. So yeah, really enjoyed this opportunity. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It was a lot of fun. Maybe someday y'all will be cube celebrities yourselves, huh? Or at least consider yourselves or such. maybe even at KubeCon. That would also be <laughs> that would also be yeah. pretty exciting. Special yeah. guest then. I could see myself as uh, as an organizer for uh, for KubeCon just based on the number of <laughs> drafts that I've organized for the server. I'm already unofficially a tournament organizer, so yeah, maybe we'll see. Yeah, write your application. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we hope to uh, to see you soon on the next episode. So uh, thanks for listening and happy cubing. Bye. See if I can get the bot out of here. You are now recording. <laughs> that really stuck with you.